We have been speaking of the glory of God in our morning services from the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see that the glory of God draws all things to himself. And the Latin expression, gravitas, is derived from the Hebrew word for glory. Because the Hebrew word means heaviness or weight, worthiness and dignity. And the Hebrew word and uh, the word for weight is the, is the same root word for, for glory. And this leads, if you've, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, but first turn, I'm going to have you turn to several passages, but it's an interesting wordplay that takes place in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And, and look at this passage. And here, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's talking about not losing heart. He says it in verse 1, and he also says it in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Why do you not lose heart? Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Outwardly, this body is dying. Inwardly, there's a renewal process that's going on. It is working of God. And here's where the wordplay comes in. For our light afflictions, which are momentary. Sometimes the translations have our momentary light afflictions. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And in this verse, it's, it, it gives the imagery of taking a balance. And on one side, you put the momentary, which means a short period of time, light, which it, mean, it refers to weight, means not heavy, and affliction. But the word for affliction means pressure. It's, it's, a, it's a, a perfect word for, for affliction because it, it gives the, the impression when you see the word affliction, it's like this weight upon your shoulders. You ever had uh, some kind of uh, even, even spiritual affliction where you just feel like the, the burden, it just burdens you down. In fact, sometimes you can see people and they're, uh, you look at them and say, how are you doing today? When you look at them, you say, it doesn't look like you're having a very good day because you're, you're even walking just kind of like, you feel just like this. You're weighed down and you're just walking under this, this burden. And so the, the, the Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians says, your, your momentary light afflictions, the momentary light pressures, and... Uh, Sometimes uh, there was capital, a form of capital punishment where they would put a board upon somebody and just start piling weights on and weights and weights and weights until it just crushed the life out of people. But that's the way our afflictions feel like for us. But to call them momentary light afflictions is to look at them in really a different way. On the other side of this balance is put the weight of glory. Now, again, that's interesting because when you think of the weight of glory, when I think of glory, I think of light that shines. And I don't think that there's much weight in this, this light of, of glory, but it, it's speaking of this, this idea of, of the weight of glory that's taken from the Old Testament, the use of that word. And 
the word is, it's, 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 it's a little bit, translators say this is a hard thing to translate because it means far beyond all comparison or it means out of all proportion. This, this heavy weight of glory is not to be compared. This heavy weight of eternal glory is not to be compared with the momentary light affliction. So you put them on a balance and you hold them up and the glory just, you know, it's like you put a heavy weight here, just boom to the, to the. So he's talking about the difficulties that we face in this life and the, and in the, he's really speaking of the ministry, the new covenant ministry and the difficulties. And the apostle Paul faced great afflictions. And it's interesting to hear him speak of these momentary light afflictions, not to be cared with this, this beyond comparison weight of glory. But because we have an eternal view, because we're looking at the glory of God we have and the glory of God that will be revealed in us, we have a whole different perspective of the glory of God. God is the God of glory. What is his weight? Why would you refer to the glory of God as the weightiness of, of his character and, and really the gravitas, meaning the drawing to him? What is it that draws to him? And the answer to that is, is it's his, the perfections of his nature. What draws us to him is, well, you can say, the fruit of the Spirit, which all of those are characteristics of the Holy Spirit, but all those are characteristics of God. So you speak of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, and all of the other attributes of God are His imperfection, which is, that's what the weight is. It's the nature of God. It's the character of God. And that's something that's, that's kind of foreign to our thinking, because we look at, you know, sometimes I see pictures which describe the planets. And you take the earth, and you take the sun, and the sun is... The earth is like this big and the sun is huge. You take the sun and compare it to some of the planets and uh, some of the stars and some of the bright stars that are out there and, and the sun is no comparison. The sun is like a little bitty thing in comparison to these planets. And then you, know, you, you do a chart of all the stars and all the things that they know and eventually you know, the, the planets that they're showing that are so huge in, in size and in gravitational pull, and you can't even see the sun anymore. In fact, you can't even see some of the larger planets anymore because there are some planets out there that are just enormous. There are some galaxies that are enormous, and all of them have this gravitas. They have, they have physical gravity. God has spiritual gravity that is greater than all of them. And there's, there's a draw with the, with the glory of God and the weight of, of all of his glory is not just the mere size of God. It is, it is his goodness. It is his mercy. It is his love. And it is these things in infinite perfection that produce the weight of God's glory. And like I said this morning, the thing that draws us to God is what we were just singing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And even a little child can understand, well, what is it that draws you to God? Well, it's, it's, it's the God who loves us. It's, it's His love. He loves me even though I'm a sinner. And He will save me if I come and trust in Him. And, and, and so we have this, 
this, uh, this amazing love of God that draws us to God. We see our sinfulness. God reveals our sinfulness to us. And He also reveals His love for us. And the one, our sinfulness should drive us away from God, but the love of God is this draw that draws us, even as guilty sinners, we fall on our face and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Because we are drawn to Him by His glory. So this, this infinite weight of God is such a draw because He saves and because He rules. He's the Savior, He's the King. And this makes the sin of man even more odious. Adam and all mankind not only turned their backs away from God, but this God is the, is the greatest draw of all the universe. And what this means is that spiritually speaking, they're walking away from God, though the draw, they're being drawn. It's almost... It's like some of these, uh, I'm always amazed whenever there's a, a, a terrible storm, they always get some weatherman, or mostly it's, it's a man because some of these storms are just pretty fierce, but to get this man to stand out in the middle of the storm when he's doing his weather report. I always find that just kind of just humorous. I, it's, it's because I guess we don't understand a storm unless you have a guy standing at a 45-degree angle with things flying past him. You know, and, and, but, but I think of, of the gravitational pull. I say when you go away from God, it's not just you walk away from God. There is this, this, this huge glory of God, this pull of God and all of His greatness and all of His vastness. And it's like you're walking, and it's like you're walking at this... this you're, it's, it's not just a departure where you just stroll away. You're departing from the glory of God. It's like walking at a 45-degree angle with the glory of God pulling you, and yet you're just straining to get away from God. That's really the picture of the sinfulness of man, which makes it so odious, because, you know, if this sinful man says, well, just turn this as I believe, it's just drawn to God. In a saving sense, he is drawn to God. It's the gravitas of God, the, the mighty God, this, this glory. All things and everyone will eventually be brought to bear upon Him, either in salvation or in judgment. Everything is drawn to Christ. Everything is drawn to God. And if you want to see the, the places where you're drawn, look at, let me give you a couple of the passage. For the Christian, we are drawn to God in 1 John. And look at 1 John chapter 2. And I want to read these passages because it's just, you know, you think about the glory of God and you start seeing things all over in the pages of Scripture. But here, here is, is John speaking. And remember, John is the one that we're going to speak of when we look at the, the transfiguration in just a moment. Now, little children, verse 28. 1 John 2, verse 28. I'm going to read down through 3 uh, and verse 3. Now, little children, abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children, that we are born of God. We're, we're the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. 
and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Will the glory of God cause us a stir? And the answer is no. We will be overwhelmed with his glory, but we're clothed in his glory. So we shall be the, the, the glory, glorified ones beholding the glory of God. That is when he comes. And again, it's so interesting to me that in describing this transformation that takes place, that it describes us as being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I mentioned this this morning. It could simply say, when Jesus comes, we shall be glorified. And we shall be like and we shall see him as he is. In fact, that's what this passage is focusing on, is the focusing on being like Christ when he comes. But in Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's this being caught up to meet him in the air. It's like the gravitas of God. We shall finally be caught up. We shall be caught up and drawn to Jesus Christ because he's glorious. And what better picture of that than, than we are glorified and we immediately rise up in the air. And we rise up to meet him. Why are, we, why are we drawn to him? It's because he's the God of glory. He's not going to be drawn to us. In the, we're clothed in his glory. But he's not drawn to his glory. We are drawn to his glory. And we rise up through the air. And we, don't, we don't need to know that. It could be a complete surprise to us when it happens. But God wants us to know that we are drawn to Him. And we are drawn to Him even in, in a spiritual, physical manner, rising up in the air. I wonder what that will be like. Suddenly, we shall hear a voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And, and I believe, this is me speaking, but I believe we're going to be called by name. Jesus calls His sheep by name. I think you're going to hear your name called. And you will be glorified, and you will immediately be drawn in glorified form to Jesus Christ. You shall rise up in the air. This is spectacular. But that's what the scriptures say because the, the glory of God shall draw us. And we'll be drawn to Him. There's another way to stand before Him, and that's in Revelation chapter 20. This is not what I recommend. This is not what the Bible recommends. But in, Genesis, in Revelation chapter 20, we have this great white throne. And this is at the end of time. This is after. According to the text of Scripture, this is after the millennial kingdom upon the earth. Jesus Christ has reigned. And it says, uh, heaven and earth have fled away here in this passage, which means this great white throne appears, and Jesus sitting upon the throne, and you have the resurrection of sinful humanity before him. And heaven and earth have fled away. So what this looks like, I don't know. But I'm just taking the text. I saw the great white throne, verse 11, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. They're gone. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. Now this is after we as Christians have been caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we are with Him. Now we have those who are not believers in Christ. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, 
And death and Hades delivered up death who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is eternal death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the opening up of books, the book of life, the book of judgment. And um, this is not the way you want to appear before the glory of God. And those who think they're going to engage in conversation with God and say, and sort of negotiate their eternal destiny with God are mistaken when they read a verse like that because there's no negotiating here. It's simply, is your name in the book of life? Are you a Christian? Are you believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is He your Savior? Is He your King? If not, your name is not in the book of life. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and the second death is talking about torment that goes on forever and ever. This is astounding. But everything is brought to bear upon the gravitas of God and the gravitas of Jesus Christ here. Because it's a wonderful thing that Jesus Christ set aside His glory, but the fact that we're going to be drawn to Him in the being caught up to meet Him in the air indicates that He is glorious. And the fact that sinners will stand before Him and be judged is an indication that He is glorious. He has the glory which He had before with the Father who was in all eternity. So... These passages give us a glimpse of, of that which is to come. These give us a, pa- a glimpse of, of the glory of God and the significance of the glory to us. And in John's Gospel, in the, the opening prologue, it, it indicates that the disciples had a glimpse of the glory of God. In John chapter 1 and verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. You look at that and say, well, wait a second. Philippians says he laid aside his glory. He laid aside the outward display of his glory. But Jesus Christ is God and he is man. And when he performed miracles, it displayed his glory, so to speak. And when he spoke, It revealed his glory. And when he lived a perfect life, it displayed his glory. In such a way that um, Peter was able to look at him and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God. They saw, in view of the fact that Jesus Christ was not arrayed in all of his glory, he laid that aside. The display of all his glory, he laid that aside. But they saw his glory because that's what the text says. If you look at this, it says... We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when it says we beheld his glory, I'm sort of tempted to say, well, they beheld his glory when three of the disciples actually saw the transfiguration. They saw him in his glory. Certainly that's true. But I think this text is saying we beheld his glory... The glory from the only begotten from the Father. They recognize that this is the only begotten Son of God. He comes forth from God. That is the glory of God in seeing Christ in that way. And then furthermore, full of grace and truth. 
and they saw the grace and truth in Jesus Christ, that's seeing through his humanity, which is what they could physically see, and seeing the glory of God in the humanity, in the deity of Christ. But they said, we were with him, and we watched him. And as you watch this man, we saw the glory of God. We saw the only begotten of the Father. That's why it's so amazing when you think of they're spending this time, this time period with the Lord Jesus Christ for Peter to say, you are the Messiah. We know that you're the Messiah. We know that you are the Son of God. You know, I cannot imagine being in the presence of any man looking face to face with a man and saying, I know that you are the Son of God. And I know that you are, have come forth from God and you are the essence of grace and truth. But that's what the disciples saw. And so this prologue is a presentation of, of what the disciples experienced with the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then that ministry is told with reference to these statements of Christ and seven miracles that he performed. But we also have a glimpse of glory in the transfiguration. And now that I've taken all my time, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. I think it's interesting that John 17 and Matthew 17 are both about glory, but that's just the numbers. The numbers are not inspired, but that's sort of interesting, isn't it? Well, anyway. Matthew chapter 17. Let me give you the context here. Peter has made a great statement, a, a, a great profession. And uh, Jesus asked the question, verse 13 of chapter 16, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's sort of a loaded question when he asks it in that manner. So he said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. Everybody's saying something special. There was something about Jesus Christ that was something special, and it wasn't just say, oh, they just, there are a lot of people just saying, you're just a great preacher, or you're just a great person. No, they're saying that, 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 that they could tell that something's going on. Maybe John the Baptist raised from the dead, maybe Elijah, the other, what, what, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? Now, Peter sometimes blunders, but he didn't blunder here. He hit the nail right on the head, so to speak. When he said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus recognized that this is not something that flesh and blood has revealed to him, but rather his Father has revealed to him. So he pronounces words of blessing. Verse 21, then at that time Jesus began to show his disciples what, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer these things, the elders and chief priests and scribes, uh, from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. You are the Messiah. You are the only, the begotten Son of God. You are who you are. Jesus turns to him. Here's where Peter didn't get it very good. Because he could understand who Jesus was. He just didn't understand the atoning ministry of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So he just got through commending Peter. Now he's 
very, very strong terms to him. And then he speaks of discipleship. What, what does it mean to follow the Lord? It doesn't mean to follow the Lord and have an agenda for the Lord, which is what Peter was doing. But it means submission to the Lord and following him. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Unfortunately, we have a chapter break here. There's no chapter break here in the the events that take place and the revelation of truth. There's a break of six days. But this brings us to this, this display, this glimpse of the glory of God. And this is the outward display of God's glory. But it tells you something about the glory of God. That's why I always like these passages. Um, Isaiah chapter 6 and the Old Testament passages where you see the glory of God. And, and, and we learn by looking at this. Well, here's a New Testament glimpse of the glory of God. And it's magnificent. But notice the statement. I'm going to just read these verses one at a time. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. Uh, this is just the, the setting of what takes place. But you'll notice this is a deliberate act on the part of Jesus Christ. It's as if he said, Peter, James, and John, I want you to come with me. I want the rest of you to stay. I mean, it's, it's a deliberate act where he's taking these three with him. And these were three of the Lord's disciples that were prominent disciples, but he takes these three. Why? Because it was his will to do so. But it's deliberate. He took them, and he brought them up on a high mountain. This is either Mount Tabor, which is um, somewhat near the Sea of Galilee, and then, or it may have been Mount Hermon, which is further north. The traditional view of this is that it was on Mount Tabor. But they go up on a high mountain. And um, mountains uh, depict in the, in the Bible a high mountain depicts, the, depicts uh, the kingdoms of this world. Some people say when um, Jesus Christ was saying, I lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. It's like saying, where does my help come from? These, these kingdoms over here? My help comes from the Lord. And he may have been referring to the, these mountains in terms of the, the hills and, the, and that which is um, a, a kingdom. But here, it, it's, you go up on a high mountain by themselves. So they're just there. Verse 2. Brought them up to a high mountain themselves and was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. Now, I like to read Scripture and be able to look up at you and say, 
I have no idea what that looks like. I mean, that's just, uh, that, that's trying to describe something in human terms that is just fantastic. I mean, I don't know what it's like for Jesus Christ, and the word for tr- transformed is the word metamorphosis. It's the same word that talks about what's happening to us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, that we are being transformed and uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation is, means we are being slowly over time transformed into the glory and the majesty of God. But here this transformation takes place and it's very sudden. And this is Jesus Christ displaying his glory for the disciples to see. And uh, this is when he talks about a, a metamorphosis. This is a transformation that is outwardly visible. But it's described in that way, so you don't even need to know that about the word trans- metamorphosis or metamorpho. It's, it's a word that means to be transfigured, to be, to be transformed in such a way that you see this transformation. Of course, when you go to Romans, that means that the people should see the transformation in our lives as well. It's a transformation that is seen. But here it's very visible, and it says that his face was like the sun. When I was um, riding to school early in the morning on one of these smoky days, I have to ride up over a hill before I come down the other side. And when I get to the top of the hill, Mount Hood is always visible out there if it's a clear day. Mount Hood was visible. But there was a line of cloudy material, I don't know what it was, smoke. And the sun was in the middle of that. And it was red because of the coloration of the, of the cloud behind it. But it was red, and you could stare right at it. But it was bright red. It was amazing. In fact, I stopped and took a picture of it because it was just... It was just stunning to see, to be able to look at the sun. It's like, that looks like the moon, only it's the sun. Here I am staring at it. I ought to be going blind, but I'm not because it's, it's all, but it's, 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 it's red. And as the, as the sun gradually moved through that cloud, it came up and it was so bright that, again, I wouldn't even try to look at it because I know it's harmful to look at the sun, but I just didn't look at it. But it's just brightly shining. I don't think this, this description that his face was like the sun means that it was looking through smoke. I think it means it was bright shining like the sun. I don't know how you can look upon Jesus Christ if his face is shining like the sun. And I don't know what it means that his garments were white as light. When the light shines, we don't see the light. We see the walls. We see the light bouncing off whatever it bounces off. So it bounces off a dark surface, you see dark. If it bounces off a light surface, you see light. But light is not seen, it bounces. And it reflects and it shines on something. So when he says, white as, white as light, I take it it just means that, that his clothes were glowing white. His face is shining bright. And when you look at this transfiguration, and as you read this passage, and I hope you'll go home and read it, but as you read this passage, look for the things that are there, and look for the things that are not there. 
Now, somebody says, well, you can't make an argument from silence. I said, I'm not trying to make an argument from silence, but I'm just saying it's astounding what's not stated in this passage. Because it should say, it should say something like this. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, and they were terrified. And they fell on their faces before him. It doesn't say that. So here when he appears, he's transfigured before them, and he appears before them in all of his glory. They're standing there, and it just says this is what they saw. And then, verse 3, something else takes place. Moses and Elijah appear. And I want you to notice what it doesn't say about Moses and Elijah. Because in verse 3 it says, And Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Now there are a lot of times in Scripture when I'd like to say, Well, what were they talking about? Why don't we have verse 3b? And it says, And they were talking about what? But it's interesting, and people have said, well, Moses is there because he reflects the lawgiver. Elijah is there because he reflects the prophets. So you have the law and the prophets coming, and they stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are talking to him. And I probably shouldn't reflect on what I think they're talking about, but here's the law and the prophets, and, and it's as if Moses is saying, you're the fulfillment of all that is that is written of you in the Old Testament and Elijah is saying and all these prophetic promises that were given in the Old Testament these are all I mean but they're talking to him what doesn't it say well it doesn't say and Moses and Elijah were falling on their faces before him because here is Jesus Christ appearing in glory and Moses and Elijah are talking to him, and the disciples are there, and they are standing before him and looking at him in all of his glory. And they're not afraid. And Jesus has come as, as the revelation of God. And there he stands as the revelation of God, and therefore they hear him. And now Moses is not saying, well, I'm Old Testament. I am not worthy to be in your presence. But there he is standing there talking to Jesus. And there's Elijah talking to Jesus, and he's on one of the prophets. But the, we're Old Testament saints, and Old Testament saints certainly can't stand in the presence of the glorified Messiah. But there he stands, and they're talking. It's sort of a picture of the Old Testament saints as represented by these two who are, who are the, the believers in the Old Testament who are looking forward to Jesus Christ, and there they are, it's as if they're engaged in some kind of an interview with Jesus Christ, standing and beholding Jesus Christ in His glory, but there they stand. Why are they not destroyed? Why are they not? It's because they're the believers in Jesus Christ, and they are saved, and their sins are forgiven, and they are justified, and they shall be glorified in the whole work. So there they stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, though they are not in glory, and they are not perfected. It doesn't even say anything about the appearance of Moses and Elijah. It just says there they are standing there. And it gives the impression they're standing there like... Like... Peter and James and John. But here is this group of individuals. And again, notice verse 4. It doesn't say, 
And the disciples are, uh, again, afraid, or the disciples say, we need to get out of here. We need to get away from here. It isn't like Moses on the mountain where there's thunder and lightning and all the things taking place in the Old Testament, and the people at the foot of the mountain saying, you go up there and tell what God wants us to know. We'll believe you, and we'll do whatever you say. Just you go. We'll we'll stay here. We don't want to go up there. But they're drawn to God. They want God. They just stand in awe of Him. And so... Once again, Peter speaks in verse 4. Notice what he says. Peter answered and said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is really good. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So why didn't he make six? Well, I think the disciples figured that, they, that this is this is. Jesus Christ in all of his glory, and there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and they're standing in the glory, and let's make tabernacles, and, and we shall be here, and, and we'll go get the rest and bring them up here. And it's like they, they don't feel like they can stand in the presence of these three, but, the, but especially of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they said, it is, this is a good thing. They don't say, this is a fearful thing. Lord, help us. This is not Peter walking on the water saying, help me. This is looking at all of this and this whole scene saying, this is where we want to be. That's why I said the wonderful thing about the glory of God is when you see people standing in the presence of the glory of God, they're happy to be there. They don't want to leave. And if he was going to make three tabernacles, it's sort of like the Old Testament. It's the same word used for the tabernacle is used in in the Old Testament. It's like a sacred tent. Let's make three sacred tents and we'll put these up for for the sacred, for for you. We'll go back to Old Testament times almost and we'll have these tents and people can come and visit the tents. But why? Notice this. While he was still speaking, Now notice what happens here. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. If I'm listening to this voice, what I'm hearing him say, Don't be telling Him what you need to do. You need to be listening to Him. I mean, Peter was making a wonderful statement about this is, this is the Messiah. This is the, son of the, this is the Son of the living God. This is the, big, the begotten one from God. The one who comes forth from God. God from God. And then he says, but, but you don't, don't die. We don't want you to do that. Peter always had good advice for the Lord. At least what he thought was good advice. Much like oftentimes I say, I have some good advice for the Lord as well. But the Lord... I don't need his advice. I need to listen to him. And that's what the Lord, the Father is saying here. This cloud overshadows. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And notice what happens. <laughs> this is where they do are afraid and they fall on their faces. This is the glory of God appearing in the gravitas of that glory, in the greatness of that glory. And it's just the voice of God. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. 
This is the Father appearing in all of the glory of God, and they just hear his voice. It doesn't say, and we saw his face shining as the sun, and we saw his garments as white as light. It says, they heard his voice, boom, they go down. They're falling on their faces before God. This is where, this is, this is the frailty of man, and the frailty of man not clothed in his glory, but as we will be, but this is the frailty of man before the holy God. And Jesus Christ is the holy God as well, but he has, he has caused, he has emptied himself of the full display of his glory. So there's a metamorphosis that appears, but this is the gravitas of that. And when God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him, boom, they go down because of the glory of God. And they fell on their faces. And they are much afraid. That means they're terrified. So they're on their faces, terrified, before the glory of God. But then again, notice what happens. Because this is, this is really the point of the whole of, of this. But Jesus came. And he touched them. Why does it say things like this? Jesus comes up to them. And he touches them. And he said, arise and do not be afraid. Now, I, I, I don't know if Jesus is still appearing in the light shining on his face in the white garment. I don't know because that's a, we don't have a description of that. It just says, and Jesus comes up. Do you think the disciples wanted the Father to reach down from heaven and touch them? I don't think so. They heard his voice. They said, that's enough. They said, <laughs> they said, I think I can now write a commentary on Mount Sinai. I know what they were feeling. I think I can talk about the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the temple. The disciples said, I, 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 know, what that, I know what that is. I know what it is to be in the presence of the holiness of God and hear his voice. Boom, they go down. Didn't they feel someone tapping them, touching them? It's Jesus. And it says, And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. To, to, to me, that's, this is a, a word picture that is so strong. God speaks from heaven. They fall on their faces. But when they lift up their eyes, what they see is the Logos. They see Jesus. They see the Word of God that they're not afraid of. And when Jesus said, rise, do not be afraid, they weren't afraid. And they lifted up their, voice, their eyes and they saw Jesus. God speaks and you see Jesus. That's what John's gospel says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's the, he's the creator. And when God speaks, what you see is Jesus. But you see Jesus in the glory that is laid aside so that you can come to him, and you can see him, and you can hear him, and you can receive him. He comes to us. We don't go to him. 
He sets his glory aside and he comes into our presence to accomplish so great a salvation. No one would have been able to lay a hand on him if Jesus Christ would have appeared in all of his glory. He laid aside the full display of his glory so he came as a man. So they took the man and they struck him and they, and they knocked him down and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, and they rebuked him and they stood in his presence and they ridiculed him. Because he came as a man. He, 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 the full display of his glory was not there, but he did that in order that he could accomplish so great a salvation. He also did that for us that we might hear him. He comes to us as a man, the God-man, fully God, fully man, yet without sin. He comes with not displaying the glory. And when God speaks from heaven, what we see is Jesus. And there he stands in their presence. I mean, the picture of that is it's like saying, you want to see the glory of God? You want to, you want to hear God? Here's, here's Jesus. He's tapping on the shoulder, and he says, he has some things. He says, tell no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead what you've seen here. Listen to him. Listen to him as he speaks of salvation. Listen to him as he speaks of the glory of the kingdom of God. Listen to him. Because God is speaking through him to you. And what you're hearing is the mind of God and the voice of God when you see Jesus Christ. And when God speaks from heaven, it's so interesting. In this word picture that is given here, God speaks from heaven. The disciples go down because of the glory of God. They lift up their eyes because the Lord is touching them and they see Jesus. It's amazing. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the glory of God being communicated to man in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that same way, it is Jesus Christ who has come to us and tapped us on the shoulder and said, come to me. Why are you saved? Well, you're saved because of the working of God. If God would appear before us in all of his glory, we would just be consumed. But God saves us in such a way that we see God in, in Jesus Christ. We hear the voice of God in Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ is God. In the full display of his glory, he shall one day be. And we shall be like him. This is, this is wonderful truth that is revealed in Scripture. Given to us, so we'll say, glory be to God. Glory be to the God who is, is infinite in his, in his perfection, who is gravitas beyond my imagination. And yet I shall be drawn to him in Christ Jesus in glory in such a way that I enter into his presence to fully delight in him. Fully delight in his presence. And we shall fall down before him and worship him because he is still the gravitas, but we shall not fear we shall rejoice, we shall love him as he loves us, and we enter into his glorious presence. And that's why it's amazing that Jesus says now, in Christ Jesus, when you talk to the Father, call him Father. Enter into his presence because he, you might say, well, I, maybe we should call him Gravitas. That would be a great name for God, the God who is gravit, the God who is infinite in glory. He says, call him Father. Because you shall be caught up to meet him in the air. You shall be glorified. You shall be with him. And he shall be the God who loves you like you've never, ever, like we've never been loved before. What a great hope we have in God. And what a great hope we have in glory. 
And what a hope we have that we're not going to stand before God and the books shall be opened and our names shall not appear because we are believers in Jesus Christ. And he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me and the one who comes to me will in no wise cast him out. That's the wonderful truth. Come to God. Trust in him. If your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, you shall stand with, with Christ in glory, in the presence of God. And though that event will be one that we will be amazed at and is beyond our description right now and we can only know how wonderful it's going to be, we shall then know what it is to stand in the presence of the glory of God. That's where we're headed. God is not satisfied until we are in his presence glorified. We could be second-class Christians. We could be Christians who never see God. He just says, I'm going to save you, but you were such wretched sinners, I don't want to see your face. But he says, I, I, you are forgiven, you are justified, you are sanctified, and you shall be glorified, and you shall reign and rule with me in God's presence. That's the hope we have. What a great God we have. Great in gravitas, great in his love for us. The gravitas of God is his love for us. His mercy, His grace. Well, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that though we understand in part, and though we struggle to understand more and more, we realize that You are the living God, full of glory. Every part of Your being is pure and perfect. And we look at ourselves and we say, humanly speaking, every part of our being is corrupt and alienated from you and hostile to you and enslaved to sin. But Jesus Christ has come and he has forgiven us because you love us. We are drawn to your love. We are drawn to your mercy. We are drawn to your kindness. We are drawn to you because of Jesus Christ. And we come hearing him and we come into your glorious presence. And Father, we have the great expectation that when Christ appears, that we shall be like him, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be in your glorious presence both now and forever. What a great hope we have of glory because of your great glory. So we worship you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And we say only you have the weight of all the glory going only and always to you. And so we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to us to save us and we rejoice that he saves us to be glorified in you. So we pray that you will continue to strengthen our hearts and encourage us with this, this wonderful truth of the glory, your glory. We thank you for the, the gift of glory that you give in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for the blessings you give. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for being the God that you are. Perfect in all of your ways. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.